Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2 this morning. We're going to um, continue our Advent series. Uh, kids, I think you've been doing a series through Advent as well with Miss Allison upstairs, and so we're going to continue that this morning. Uh, kids, so you know, there are bags in the hallways out there, activity bags for you to keep along, to follow along with the sermon and to doodle, and there might be candy in there. I'm not sure. Parents, they're for the kids. Uh, they'll go get them. Uh, so I want to encourage you and invite you into that, participate with that. Here's the thing that I believe about you, first through fifth graders. I believe you can pay attention. I believe you can learn. I believe God is moving in you. Um, I don't believe things that the world says about you. I believe that God has great things in store for you, and I believe He has them in store through His Word this morning. Um, And so I believe you can do it, and I'm excited for you to be here. Parents, I know your kids will be um, wrestling with rappers and walking to go to the bathroom 15 times, and which is less than some of you go um, during the service. So don't judge. Uh, They'll be doing all of those things. You can rest. Um, You can rest. We love this. We love that kids are here. Uh, Healthy churches have babies. And so we love that they are here with us this morning. I want to just put you at ease. I know it doesn't. I have to say it uh, so that you can try to rest in it this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 2 finishing up. Well, not finishing up, but continuing our Advent series this morning. We're going to talk about peace this morning. Uh, The term Advent is a Latin term meaning arrival or coming. It's an old church tradition to study Advent, to study the coming of Jesus as a baby at Christmas. So we we look back and we rejoice, we remember and rejoice over Christmas. And then we wait and we worship and we watch for his second coming. And we'll study that next Sunday, December 27th. Uh, We'll study that. This is what it means to, um, to do Advent this Thursday night, Christmas Eve, this Thursday night, uh, we have Christmas Eve services at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Identical services, 45 minutes to an hour. I want to encourage you to be there. Um, it should be a sweet, sweet time of worship and orienting our hearts around the birth of Christ. Uh, just one more time before we get into uh, Christmas Day. I want to invite you to that. We're going to study the light, that Jesus came as the light of the world. We're going to study that um, on Thursday night. But this morning is about peace. It's about peace. We say when it comes to Advent that we live in the already and the not yet. This is what Advent means for us. We live in the already. He has come. Jesus the Savior has come. On that first Christmas morning, Jesus came. And we believe that he has not yet fully come to restore all things back to goodness or wholeness or perfection. We believe he is coming again to set everything right. And if we're being honest, we know in the meantime, in between the already and the not yet, There is a war going on between good and evil. It's going on within us. We feel it. Uh, We feel the desire to be good, to do good, to do what God has called us to do. And then we feel our flesh rise up, the evil rise up within us as well. As Christians, we can identify that as the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit at war with our spirit within us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you feel it too. You feel it too. Uh, but you don't have words for it yet. But this is what, this is what it means. It's, it's this war between uh, God's good for you and what your flesh is desiring. So we live in between. And what's happened for many of us is that's caused a lack of peace in three different dimensions. Uh, one between us and God, uh, one within ourselves, and then finally uh, within or among others. We don't have peace with God, we don't have peace within, and we don't have peace among other people. So I want to study that this morning through Luke 
chapter 2. So let's go to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses, and then I um, just want to do some teaching. There can be a number of things on the screen this morning. This is uh, definitely more of a teaching kind of a message. So there's going to be things on the screen. We're going to get more practical, I think, than we have been in recent weeks, which many of you are rejoicing over. Uh, so we'll, we'll get there here in a second. Luke chapter 2, verse number 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord. If you're taking notes, circle, highlight that word glory. We'll come back to it. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, the shepherds, were filled with great fear. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Last week we said that this great joy is that God has come near. That's where we find joy. We find joy in the nearness of God. It's for all the people. No matter how far you've wandered, uh, if you were born at First Baptist, whatever city, on the front pew, uh, the, the, the pastor birthed you and then smacked your bottom and you screamed hallelujah. If you're that person or you're the one who's wandered uh, in, into cocaine and heroin, it doesn't matter. It's for all people. For unto you is born this day, verse 11, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That word Christ means Messiah, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with this one angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. So now an army of angels praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, if you're taking notes, write down the words glory and peace. We're going to come back to that a lot. Highlight it there in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And so this is the first phrase. He says, glory to God in the highest. So that's these, you're going to see a couple of phrases, three different phrases. They're all connected. The second phrase is peace on earth. Peace. Glory to God in the highest up in the highest realm, the most important, and peace on earth in this realm where we are. God gets glory, we get peace, and then the final phrase is, among those with whom he is pleased. Now, some of your translations will say um, other things, goodwill toward men. Anybody translations say goodwill toward men, or that's how you've memorized that verse? Okay. Uh, through what they've learned archaeologically and what they've studied with Dead Sea Scrolls and all those types of things, the translation has been changed and has gone away from um, good, that phrase and has moved to among those with whom he is pleased or on whom his favor rests. It's not just goodwill to men. Peace, the peace of God, is only available to those who have received his grace. Uh, we've gone a long way culturally and biblically uh, in this way of, of saying uh, that, that peace is available to everyone. And it is, but it begins with receiving the grace of Jesus. Uh, you'll never find the peace of God outside of your salvation with Jesus. So that's what this phrase, among those with whom he is pleased, that's what this, that's what this means. All right, so we're going to study a few things. First are these words, glory and peace. And here's the thing. Words matter, don't they? Like, I get, I get in trouble all the time because I, I'm, I'm staunch about, I think words matter. How we say things, what we say matters. We should not be flippant with the words that we use. Now, I am from time to time sinfully 
uh, maybe unprepared, so I'm flippant with some words from stage. I repent for that. I try to fix that. But words matter. And what words mean is important for us. If we just go around changing what words mean, we're going to find ourselves in all kinds of weird, weird places. So let me just give you a few examples of how words have drifted away from what they originally meant to what they mean today. And here's one of my huge pet peeves is the word literally. Literally, literally means literally. Literally. It doesn't mean, you can't just throw it in there because you want to sound more intelligent or because you want to make some kind of pronounced statement. I literally haven't eaten in a week. No, that's not literal. That, no, that's not true. Figuratively, maybe you haven't, you feel like you haven't eaten in a week, um, but literally is like, it's literal. It's true. It's black and white, letter of the law. That's what literally means. Teenagers, that's what literally means. I literally mean that. You can't just go around throwing out the word literally and expect me to take you seriously. Like it, right? It means something. You but it's, it's drifted away from meaning something that it was intended to mean. It's a way for us to distinguish uh, between fact and fiction. It literally happened. That's fact versus fiction. That's what literally means. Another word is talking. Uh, it used to mean that we would communicate with words out of our mouth. Now apparently we're not dating. We're just talking to a guy. We're talking to a girl. It doesn't mean you're just continually talking, although some of us do continually. Um, but it's no longer meaning that we're speaking with words. Now you're it's like you're dating, but you don't want to say that you're dating, and so you say you're just talking. Uh, some of us use the word always to win arguments, don't we? You always do that. She is always like that. He always says that to me. Uh, my kids are the worst at this. I, literally the worst. I mean that. Like, they are <laughs> the worst. Uh, literally. Literally. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's so extreme. So you, the word always means always. Like, in always, all, literally all the time. You can't just say, well, it always makes me sad when this— No, it doesn't always make you sad. Um, I—yeah, you get the idea. Uh, and then the, the last one is the word forever. Like, I haven't eaten in forever. Yes, you have. You ate two hours ago. That's not what forever means. You see that how words have drifted away from their original meaning. And so now we operate. So the word literally is a perfect example. Now we operate in a world where the original intent of the word literally no longer matters to us. It doesn't. Because now it's become something else. Uh, Christmas lyrics and Christmas songs, we do this all the time. Because you mishear a Christmas lyric when you're seven years old. And that's what it means for the rest of your life. And it changes the whole song for you. It changes the whole song. Um, you, you perspire by the fire instead of conspiring, right? So now it's a song about this, this fire makes me really sweaty. I'm really hot and I am perspiring. As opposed to conspiring and dreaming, you are perspiring and drinking by the fire. And it's a whole different song uh, when that happens. One that many of us might need tonight. But it's just a different one than we're used to. This is what's called um, semantic drift. Semantic drift is when we don't keep tabs on words and they semantically drift into other meanings. It's, it's, what, that, it's what that means. And so Scripture, a lot of those words for us, because they come out of other languages, have semantically drifted away from their original meaning into what uh, we know them as today. And we miss Scripture because of semantic drift. 
Let me explain it. Maybe a different idea will help. Uh, when I was in college, uh, there was a guy who helped with the basketball team, and we all called him Uncle Ray. I don't know whose uncle he actually was, uh, but he was Uncle Ray. Uncle Ray, I think, was a missionary for years, and then Uncle Ray had a stroke. And uh, after his stroke, he lost some use of one side of his body, kind of dragged one of his legs, and cognitively was there, could process. He was a brilliant painter and artist, but he could not communicate. So he could just say a few words. He could say, uh, bad. He would say, bad, that bad. Um, he would say the word, dumb. There were just a few, just one-syllable words that he would use. Now, when I got to college, this was post-Uncle Ray's stroke. And so this is all I know of Uncle Ray. The context that I know of Uncle Ray is on the sideline at basketball games, getting the guys water, bringing them towels, and then only being able to say a few words. This is who he is. He walks kind of with a limp. My context of Uncle Ray is post-stroke. But what's true is that before that stroke, he was a completely different person on the outside. Does that make sense? I only know him in context of the present, but his family knows an actual Ray, who is their actual uncle, who lived a life before his stroke, who was gregarious and funny and athletic. There are some words in Scripture that, like Uncle Ray, we only know on this side. And so we don't know the depths that come along with it. And like many of us, then we count some of these words out. So I want to do a little bit of word study with us this morning. I want to teach through some of this and then hopefully be able to put it all in place in a way that we walk out with a new understanding of some of these words. All right, the first word is glory. Now we don't use the word, we use the word glory to mean something completely different. We say in all his glory, we're talking about something completely different than what the Bible is speaking of. All right, there's, uh, the Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew, right? It's for the Israelite people. It's for the Hebrew people. So it comes out of Hebrew culture. It's written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod. Say kavod. Good. That, uh, that's what it means. Then in the New Testament, primarily Greek, some Aramaic, but translated mostly in Greek. And the Greek word for glory is doxa. Say doxa. Right, it's where we get the word doxology. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a song about the praise or glory of God. So like English words, there are dictionary definitions, and then there are ways of what this word actually means kind of in culture. So kavod and doxa mean a brilliance or a significance or honor. This is what a glory means. It's significance, it's brilliance. So whenever you read about glory in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, it's bright, right? It's God's glory shown around them. Uh, Moses saw the glory of God. This is, it's bright and it's shining. It's a brightness, a brilliance, a significance, an honor. Uh, but what it actually began to become known as contextually is the idea of weight or significance. So it's something that is weighty, something that is heavy. In the Old Testament, uh, the author says that uh, the glory of God fills, it saturates the whole earth. It's, it's so heavy, it weighs down everything. This is, what it, this is what the glory of God is, its weight, its significance. Um, we do this thing, particularly in the South and in church, where we just walk by each other and say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, well, I'm, I'm fine, how are you? Right? Or I'm good, how are you? Um, Too blessed to be stressed or better than I deserve. That, that's what we say. But there's a moment, and that's kind of light, right? That's uh, surface level, that's light. 
If you say, hey, how are you doing? And someone stops and says, I'm actually not doing well at all today. Do you feel how that's weighty? It was light before, and now it's weighty. Now it's significant because glory has entered. Weight has entered. This is what glory means. It's a weightedness. So if you think about a scale, um, glory tips the scales. Wherever you place glory, wherever you place significance, tips the scales. So it was then used kind of in, in judicial matters. So the glory of something or a decision, the glory of, uh, of a crime, whatever, the weight of it, the weight of a person shifted the decisions. So glory is a decider. It's a filter. Where you place your glory, where you place weight, where you place significance is the filter by which you make decisions. If your glory is in your kid's travel ball, your calendar will be an example, will manifest where you've placed glory because the weight of your week will shift to traveling 14 hours away for a seven-day tournament. They'll play 400 games and never be able to use their elbow again. But it's fine. It's fine because they, they might become professional. They won't, but they might. And so we'll invest. I'm sorry. Uh, right, so it's a leaning. So uh, if you were to lean, place your weight on one foot versus the other, that's, you're placing your weight. You're placing your glory on that side. So what it means is you lean that direction. If something, if a wind were to come, somebody were to come to push you, and to push you in the direction of your weight, you would just fall into that glory. You would fall into that weight. If someone were to push against that weight, it would be harder to move your, your body, harder to move your weight. This is what glory means. So I want you to think of the idea of weightedness and significance, okay? The next word is peace. Uh, peace in the Old Testament in Hebrew is the word shalom. Say shalom. Shalom. Um, it's a greeting uh, for many Hebrew people. It's the word peace. And in the New Testament, it's the word erene. Say erene. Erene. Good. It's actually where we get the, the name Irene comes from this idea of peace. I don't know if you know any Irenes. The Irenes I know are not peaceful. Um, they're very mean. But this, uh, whatever. Uh, this, this is where that comes from. So the idea for peace, again, semantic drift, for us has become the absence of conflict, right? If there's no conflict or no war, then we are at peace. And it's made its way for us in churches where peacemakers are people who just keep the peace. But that's become people who never confront anything, Does that, aren't they? The people who are peacemakers are just ones who pretend there's nothing bad going on ever. Uh, they, they're Emmett from the Lego movie. Everything is awesome all the time. This is what our idea of peace, that's not what peace is biblically. It's not what peace is based on these words. The Bible uses words that speak more to the presence of something better, not the absence of conflict, but the presence of something better in its place. Both of these words, shalom and erene, come from a root word, which means to complete or to bind together or to restore. Peace is a wholeness. It is a completion. The core idea is that uh, life is complex. It's full of intricate moving parts. Your relationships are not easy. They aren't. They aren't. I don't care, I don't care what you've seen in Vampire Diaries. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's complex. There are so many moving parts and pieces around. Life is complex. 
is complex. When you're an adult, life is complex between the bills and getting your kids to the doctor, getting them to school or sending them in front of a computer for virtual school. On top of that, then you've got to mow the grass or pay somebody to mow the grass. And then you've got weeds and then you've got who knows what. Then you've got animals. It, right? It's, it's complex. There are a bunch of moving parts. And the idea is that in those moving parts, when something is off kilter, something is missing or something is broken, your shalom, your erene, breaks down. So peace is restoring something to wholeness. Do you see how if we believe that peace is just the absence of war or the absence of conflict, how we miss, how we miss on what God designed and desires peace to be? Because listen, I can avoid conflict better than anybody in this room. I grew up with five younger sisters. You don't think I know how to avoid conflict and drama? Like, I know when to go to my room. I know when to go out. I know. I know how to walk on eggshells better than any of you. We could have a contest, and I would do it better. Literally, I would do it better. Uh, so, but this is, so I've missed out on the peace of God because of my avoidance of conflict. Because if I just thought I could be a peacemaker by just avoiding conflict. But that's not what it is. It's not what it is. In fact, it means uh, not just to stop fighting, but it means that two at conflict, even two kings at war, when they would uh, come to peace, didn't mean they would just drop the weapons and then go back to their corners. It meant that they would begin to work towards the other person's good, the other country's good, the other country's benefit. It's not just making a, re a payment. It's restoring. That's what peace is. Are we good with that? Can we move forward? I'm going to put all this together, but this is, we need these going forward. So we see in Scripture that the glory of God in the highest and the peace on earth, they're connected. They're inextricably connected. They're always together. But how? Well, what we're seeing here in the Christmas story is that Jesus is the embodiment. He is the fullness, the fulfillment of both God's glory and peace on earth. He's it. If you want to know what it looks like, he is the bridge. He lives it out. But he is the way to God's glory and to peace on earth. So let me say it this way, and then we'll get into some application. First, the glory of God brings peace on earth. The weight of God, the significance of God brings peace. It binds together. It restores earth. In the same way that if you're outside and you've got a bunch of papers or you're sitting on a picnic table and you're trying to read a book or whatever it is, um, you need something weighty to hold that in place, don't you? You need something weighty to hold it in place. In the same way, God's glory brings peace. On the flip side, peace on earth brings glory to God. How is God most glorified? Well, through the restoration of all things. How is God most given his weight or his significance in the world? Through peace. And again, not the absence of war. Not that. But through the restoration, the binding together of all things, that's what brings glory to God. I want to focus this morning on, on the first phrase, that glory to God brings peace on earth. Uh, because I think for many of us, we don't have peace. We've tried to avoid conflict. We've tried to be good Christian peacemakers. And so uh, we don't cause problems we don't rock the boat. We, we're very careful. We walk on eggshells. And we're, we're searching for peace. But what we're doing is we're doing it for our glory 
and not the glory of God. So I'm going to give us three ways that the glory of God brings peace. First, the glory of God brings us peace with God. This is the most important peace for us. Peace with God is only found by bringing Him glory. Colossians 1, Paul says that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God, the full deity of God, was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, how? Making peace, making arene, making restoration, making whole, making complete by the blood of his cross. So let's talk glory first. As long as you and I are glorying in ourselves, as long as the weight, the significance, our leaning is on ourselves, our effort, our sin— or our righteousness, we will never find peace with God. As long as you and I are determined uh, that the glory rests on us, the weight, the responsibility, the burden rests on us, we will never find peace with God. Everything is broken. Everything is cracked. You too. And we cannot. The weight is on God. When it comes to restoration of our souls— the weight, the burden, the glory is on God. It's not on us. We cannot. We've studied it in Ephesians. We can't, so God did. Don't touch the mountain, Exodus. Don't come close to the mountain, so God sends Jesus. The weight is on him. But here's how he made peace, and I want to make this clear for us this morning. God did not brush our sin under the rug. He is not conflict avoidant. He didn't. God doesn't pretend your sin isn't there. He doesn't pretend that you aren't weak and human and broken. He doesn't pretend that he doesn't know what you did last night on your phone. He doesn't pretend that he's not aware of the things you've said about that coworker or that other mom. He knows. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't pretend it didn't happen. On the flip side, he doesn't rage against us either. He doesn't attack us for our sin. He doesn't destroy us, although he could, for our sin. He doesn't. He absorbs it. He dealt with our sin. How? From Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, by his blood on the cross. That's how. That's how. You want to know how God knows that you're a sinner? He sent his son to be murdered. That's how. You want to know how you know your sin has been dealt with because he didn't sweep it on the rug? Because his son shed blood for you. If God was just going to sweep it under the rug, he's not going to sacrifice his son. If God was going to avoid conflict, he's not going to that great length. He's just not. Right? He'll settle in court or out of court. God doesn't pretend that it just didn't happen. He sent Jesus. The only way to peace with God is by glorying in Him. It's the only way. In the ways that you feel restless, it's because your soul hasn't found its rest in the weight of God. He hasn't settled your soul. And so for many of us, we might go to church, we might try to do all the right things, but there's not peace between us and God, and that has nothing to do with God not extending peace to you. It's that you aren't accepting his peace because the weight in your mind, the burden is still on your behavior. You'll never find peace with God. Secondly, glory to God brings peace within. Within, within us. 
Um, I know we've got one pandemic, but there's, there's an epidemic growing and has been for a number of years of anxiety inside of our children and adults. And there's clinical, there are things chemically with us where anxiety has to be dealt with medically. There's plenty of those things. But there's been this growth for us that we don't have peace within our own hearts and our souls. We are restless. We can't make things settle. So Paul deals with this in Philippians chapter 4. If you can turn there if you want, it'll be on the screen. Philippians 4. Paul says to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let me just, this is kind of off topic. If there's, if there's any mark of a Christian in 2020, it should be Philippians 4 verse 9. Please let your reasonableness be made known. We are not people who get tossed to and fro by political outrage, by racial outrage, by uh, medical outrage. We are not. We are the reasonable ones. But you know what the problem is in our world? We have become the most unreasonable people on the planet as Christians. The Lord is near. Don't fear. The Lord is at hand. We should be reasonable. We should be reasonable. The reasonableness be known to everyone. Lord's at hand. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Again, uh, it doesn't say do not be anxious about most things. Do not be anxious about important things. Do not be anxious about small things. Don't be anxious about anything. This word anxious and the word anxiety in the Greek uh, literally means to separate into parts or separate into pieces. The reason you and I feel anxiety, the reason we feel anxious, however that manifests for us, is because we're no longer fixed on the one true glory of God. We've separated our life out into so many pieces. Everything is in pieces. Uh, Psychologists are now noticing a connection between anxiety and ADHD. And they're also noticing, because of the rise of social media and the rise of technology, that ADHD has increased by almost 400% in our society. Diagnosed. As a people, we are an anxious people. Scroll through any of your social media and listen to your body and see if you feel that low hum of agitation within you. You're a little bit more on edge. You're a little bit shorter with your kids. You're a little bit shorter with your spouse. Because our attention is being diverted into so many different places that we have become anxious over the number of pieces we see out in the sea. So Paul says, don't be anxious. Don't be divided about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, which makes me anxious how many things he just said, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace, the arene of God. Now, arene means to bind together, to restore, to put all the pieces together. So what does the peace of God do? Well, the peace of God takes the pieces of our anxiety and it puts it all together. And here's how it works for me. Because I can be anxious over everything going on in our world. I can be anxious over what my kids have to face on a daily basis. I can be anxious over my relationship with my wife. I can be anxious over all of that. 
But when I sit before God and I gaze upon his goodness, the things of the world grow strangely dim. And he brings all of this, my kids, uh, COVID, uh, corona, all, all the things. He brings them all together and says, yes, but I have my hand in all of it. I am before all things, and in me all things hold together. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Now, understanding means to bring together with your mind, to put together. To understand is to, to know that two plus two equals four. That's understanding. But Paul says there's something better than understanding. There's something better than what your mind can put together, and that is the peace of God. It surpasses all understanding, and it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So what do we do? If we're anxious within us, what do we do? Well, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is verse 8? It's the glory of God. Are you anxious this morning? I would just have to ask you, where is your glory being placed? If we think about the glory of God, then we're thinking about Philippians 4, verse 8. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of Irene will be with you. All right, so let's talk glory. We will never have peace within if we glorify ourselves, if we glorify others, or if we glorify what's going on in our world. If we place our weight and significance on news feeds and social media and likes and TikTok videos, if we place all of our glory, all of our weight on those things, we will never find peace. So I just, let me just be blunt with you. For some of us, what we have to do is you have to delete your social media. It's not helping. It's not good. Now, some we can handle it, I cannot handle it. I don't have social media. It makes me anxious. And you can say, yeah, well, then how am I going to talk to people? I don't know. Text? Call? FaceTime? Carrier pigeon? I don't care. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, if that's what your problem is, Jesus is clear. If your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If social media is making you anxious, get off social media. Man, I'm on all kinds of soapboxes. I'm sorry. Uh, any other deciders in your life, when you try to please them, you will be anxious. You won't have peace within yourself. You won't. Trying to please your spouse, trying to please your kids, trying to please your teacher, trying to please your parents, you will be anxious. Well, then here's how peace works. The weight of God's glory settles us. One of the best things to do for somebody with anxiety is to get them a weighted blanket. Because a weighted blanket settles the body. The weight, 15 pounds of a blanket, will settle their anxiousness. In the same way, uh, the weight of God's glory, His weighted blanket, will begin to settle you. God's bigger than that. He's better than that. He can handle it. Finally, God's glory to God uh, brings peace with others. So I don't, again, I don't know what kind of year you've had. Um, maybe we've had similar years. I bet we have. We've had similar years. And for me in 2020, 
um, really was nothing compared to my 2019. So I'll take 2020 all day long. But uh, what's happened for us in 2020 is if you're like me over the past 360 something days, I would imagine um, you have said things to people that you regret that you've said to them. In this stress of this world, in this stress of what's been caused throughout this world, I would imagine you've said things to your spouse that they remember. I would imagine you've said things to your kids. I would imagine, kids, you've said things to your parents. Whether they heard you or not, you said things. We've done a lot of things out of our anxiety, out of our lack of peace this year that have caused disunity with others. And what's happened for many of us is because of semantic drift, we're thinking, no, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. Because I'm, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. I'm at peace. We're okay. We can't be in the same room, uh, but we're okay outside of that. Like, we're no longer friends on any social media platform, but we're outside of that, it's fine. Like, his, his voice grates on me, but outside of that, I think we're at peace. We're going to be just fine. I don't, I don't think we are. I don't think we are. The glory to God brings us peace with others. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 3, that as Christians, we are to put on then, as God's chosen ones, we're holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And some of you say, I've been bearing with this person for 40 years. Yes. Yes, I've been bearing with his incompetency for 40 years. I get it. This word bearing means that you carry with them. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. Binds everything together. That's peace in perfect harmony. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ, the arene, the restoration, not the absence of conflict, it's something better, let the peace of Christ, the sacrificial forgiving peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Oh, and be thankful. Be thankful. We will never have peace with others if we are placing the weight and significance and glory on ourselves or on our hurt or on the other person or the glory being on our rightness. Well, I'm, I'm right. I'm not wrong. I'm right in this situation. They're the problem. You understand? You're putting weight on you. You're putting weight on you as the hero. You're the one who did it right. Or on the flip side, many of us, we've put weight on our perpetrator, on our betrayer. We've put so much weight there that our world leans in that direction. And so we are bitter and we are resentful. We are angry. We are short-tempered. But as Christians, we know better than to express that, so we just stuff it all down. And then we flick people off on I-75 for no reason. But because three months ago, your wife said something to you that really got under your skin that you have not dealt with. We say things like, well, I would, I would forgive if they would just apologize. Say things like, if they, I mean, if they really meant it, then they would come to me. I believe that forgiveness is the ultimate God glorifier. Without forgiveness, we're not able to glorify God. And here's why. Because we're all broken. Perfection can't glorify God. Jesus is that. 
We've got to forgive. We've got to forgive. Lisa Turkist, and, and Turkist an author, and um, she's written a lot of books here lately through her own story. She says that peace is the evidence of a life of forgiveness. So listen, I don't, I don't know for you. I get the sense in my heart and in my soul um, that even within the room here this morning, there are many of us who have played the peacemaker in avoiding conflict, and in doing so, you've harbored resentment and bitterness towards someone close to you. It could be a friend that's hurt you in the past. It could be a spouse who has hurt you years ago or just this past week. And you will keep pretending and you will keep throwing things on top of it and on top of it. But at some point, please hear me in this. I don't, as someone who's lived this, at some point your resentment will no longer be internal. And it may not come out with attacks at that person, but you will become so dissatisfied with where you are, you will find something else to satisfy you. And I could say, hey, so listen, let's pray, and then as you go, why don't, why don't you go and over lunch have a conversation? But let's, let's be honest, that's not going to happen. You've got too much time to think. So here's my plea for you this morning. I want us as a church to be marked as people of peace. If there's someone in the room for you this morning that you need to forgive, the time is now. Because you can sing all the worship songs and do all the Bible studies and lead all the life groups you want to. But if there's not shalom, if there's not a reine between you and that person, everything is off, and your worship is in vain. So Brandon's going to play. We're just going to give a little bit of time this morning. Two things. Um, one is there has to, has to be a vertical forgiveness between you and someone else, which just means this. You stand before the Lord, and with the Lord, you forgive that person. It could be somebody that did something to you awful 30 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And that person's not here, maybe not even alive anymore. So you can't have the horizontal forgiveness. But maybe right now, maybe today, you can go to the Lord and say, help me to forgive, to release. I want peace in my heart. I want peace. For some of us this morning, it's going to have to be both vertical and horizontal. And maybe there's someone here that you've swept things under the rug, but you haven't forgiven. Maybe it's time today for you to have a conversation. There's an altar here. There are doors. You can go in the hallway. There are walls. There are chairs. You don't have to be embarrassed. Please hear me in this. We all have this. Oh, I would hate for you to walk through the glory of God at Christmas without peace in your home. Let me pray. Um, and then we'll just give a few moments for you and for me have a conversation. Maybe you text someone. Maybe it's someone here. God, um, I don't want to create anything or create a moment or superficially invite things to just make people feel better. God, I'm depending on your Spirit right now, your Holy Spirit who leads and guides and challenges and convicts and comforts in the very same breath. God, I'm, I'm trusting in Him right now. 
that the Spirit would move in such a way that what, what has been hidden under rugs, what has been buried, what has not been dealt with, God, you would, you would in your grace bring to the light. God, that there would be restoration beginning today in marriages and in homes and in friendships and churches. Maybe someone this morning needs to forgive an old pastor and they can't move on in their worship and in a new church until that is settled. So Father, would you move in the next few moments? Would your spirit move? In Jesus' name. Amen. Just as random plays, we'll give a few minutes. And then I'll wrap us up. Luke finishes this account of the birth of Christ and talks about the shepherds and the shepherds run to see Jesus at the manger and, um, and they run they tell everybody that, that they know everybody about this Jesus that has come for them verse 20 says the shepherds returned where they returned to they returned back to their fields where they were keeping watch over the flocks by night and they were glorifying and praising God So listen, here's, here's the thing about the peace of God and the glory of God. Um, it, it's not going to change your profession. Like the story we want is the shepherds, then they, they stop being shepherds, and now they're missionaries, and now they're pastors, and they're growing thriving churches, and their lives have been radically changed. And Yeah, um, but they just go back to work. They just went back to them. So you're going to leave here, and you're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to go home. You're going to go to family gatherings maybe this week, and... Your place hasn't changed at all because of the peace of God. But maybe your perspective has. So these shepherds go back, and now they're not just shepherds who keep watch over their flock by night. Now they are worshipers who keep watch over their flock by night. Your workplace, your family, your home will be impacted by the glory of God and peace on earth if you let it. If you let it. Same home, same people, same meals, same cubicle, same boss, different glory, different peace. I don't know if there's anybody here this morning who would just say, I don't have peace with God. I'm not a follower of Jesus. It's not settled in my heart. I'm anxious about whether or not I'm his. It's not settled for me. So there's not peace, and I'm trying to earn, I'm trying to prove, I'm trying to do more and more and more, but I can't get it settled. Anybody this morning who would say, it's just, it's not settled with me? I want it to be settled. I want to be settled that I am his son or his daughter. Is there anybody here this morning who would say that there's some peace within me that I need? I need, I need peace within myself. Anybody this morning who's struggling to find peace within yourself? You can be honest and bold. And say, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with some anxiety right now. I've had a rough year. I just want to pray for you. 
there's anxiety for you, I could pray God's peace over you. Maybe there's some who have conflict, you need peace with others. Today is the day of restoration. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the good news of the gospel. I thank you that peace that you've given to us doesn't mean you pretend we aren't sinners. You don't pretend it's, it's not a big deal. You don't excuse our behavior, but you've dealt with it. Therefore, we do have peace with you, and we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. God, there are some in the room this morning who there is conflict uh, their shalom, their irene has been disrupted between them and someone they used to care about or they do care about. And God, they need your strength. They need your glory to weight them down that they might find peace among a brother or a sister. So I pray for that healing today. May we be a people who give you glory in the highest. You are the preeminent one. You are the awesome God. You are the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And we are not May we offload the glory, the weight, the burden from us and place it on you that we might worship you and find peace in our worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Again, I want to remind you, uh, Thursday night, Christmas Eve services at 4 and 6 o'clock. I want to invite you to be a part of that. It'll be a sweet time. There'll be no child care that night. It'll be all families in here, and we love it. Next Sunday is a family gathering as well. So kids, you get to come back. Fall asleep to me. It's going to be awesome. We'll come back next week on the 27th, same thing, uh, 945, 11:15. Um, we're just thrilled that you'd be here with us this morning. If you'll stand, I'll give us a benediction, and I will send us out um, on our way. May the God of peace, who settles our anxious hearts, the God of restoration, who is in the business in the business of running towards darkness with light, that he might restore all things. May he be with you this week, church. We love you. You are dismissed.